On today's show, we're joined by Locked on Raptors host Sean Woodley for a deep dive on all things Fred Van Vliet. How did his career play out with the Raptors? What was ultimately the reason for him leaving Toronto? What does he bring to the Houston Rockets from the offensive side of the basketball, the defensive side of the basketball, as a leader, and so much more? It's all coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingoon here in the short row. Oh my, that's the no look. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Look at Tari Eason. Here comes Tari. Oh! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six. Five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin. And the show, of course, at Locked On Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. Joining us now for a deep dive on all things Fred Van Vliet is Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors. You can track down on Twitter at WoodleySean and wherever you listen to your podcast, just search Locked On Raptors. Sean, so excited to have you here on the show for, you know, just to help us get a better understanding of who Fred Van Vliet is, the guy that the Rockets just signed to this massive deal to bring to Houston to help kind of spearhead the charge into what they're effectively calling phase two of their rebuilding plan, ushering in this new age of Rockets basketball. So let's start with just how would you best describe Fred's tenure with the Raptors? If you had to kind of sum it up for us. I mean, it, it was, it's sort of clouded by the end because the last season in Toronto, it was weird. It just, the vibes were strange. He was in a contract year. There was stuff about role and the fan base got like super duper weird about him, which we're not going to get into because it was just like kind of a toxic experience just talking about Fred Van Vliet on the internet for the entire season, which was no fun. Um, But overall, I mean, he's one of the seven best players in Toronto Raptors history. And he is very emblematic of what, the Raptors did well during their run to the championship. And in the couple of years after, Um, you know, he, he was an undrafted guy. He was one of their first sort of products of their excellent G league system where they churned out NBA players over and over again. And he just kind of added more every single year. It was ascendant. If you're looking for one word, like it was just like kind of year over year, there was just a little bit more Fred Van Vliet. And it was a delight to watch, honestly, a super fun guy. Also, there you're you're in it for a treat as a media guy because he is the single best quote I think I've ever encountered in an NBA locker room. He's amazing. He's so well thought. He's so thoughtful. He's well spoken. He is honest. He will not mince words. And you're going to have a great time covering him. He he's a he was one of the faces of the Raptors. He was one of the pillars of a very successful era for the team. Yes, he was more of a role player on the teams that really hit the higher upper echelon of success. But even then, he started on a team that was on a six. 60 win pace before COVID ruined everything. Um, you know, he he was just a, a huge, huge emblematic piece, 
very much uh, symbolic of a lot of the good things the Raptors did for a very, very long time. Um, And he's going to be missed for that reason. Like he's a pretty massive figure to try to replace in Toronto. You know, it's so funny that you said that he's going to be an amazing quote because DeMichael also said the exact same thing about Dylan Brooks. So now I'm going to be, it's going to be so funny to see which one of them ultimately winds up having the best quotes. Maybe I'll make that like a recurring segment on the show, like the, the Van Vliet versus Brooks, like, you know, quote of the week or something. Um, you talk about this past season, right? And how things were just a bit, you know, toxic, dysfunctional, whatever you want to call it in Toronto. How much of that do you feel like either stemmed from Fred, maybe unhappiness in his role? Was it just other things? And how much of that played into his decision to ultimately leave rather than stay in Toronto? Was it all about the money? Was it just about the situation? What was the ultimate reason for his departure? It's honestly, there's a lot of gray area with this, right? Because I don't think the blame for last season falls on any one person with the Raptors. I don't think his decision to leave falls on any one real factor. There's a lot of different things at play. I think for me, there was a very clear rift, it seemed, between Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and Scotty Barnes, and the sort of older and younger faction of the team. And frankly, I never once blamed Fred Van Vliet for maybe taking it personally that this guy who is an all-star and has you know, built himself from nothing into an NBA player who makes $43 million a year. Uh, I had no problem with Fred Van Vliet not wanting to just simply hand the keys over to a 21-year-old who had one good season but didn't really you know, carry it over to his second year. He wasn't fantastic. Scotty Barnes was not in his second year. He was good. Like There was lots of stuff to like, a lot of stuff to dislike, and I think he was kind of you know, as a whole, basically a similar player to what he was as a rookie, just in a different kind of form. Um, but either way, I think there's maybe this sort of idea that Scotty Barnes was going to walk in and the team was going to be his and that it was all going to flow around him. And I just, it was an understandable bit of tension, I think, where you have this guy who clearly the most raw talent on the team in Scotty Barnes comes in, has a rookie of the year season. I understand why Scotty Barnes might have thought, hey, this is my team now. And I also get why Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, to maybe a lesser extent, were like, no, uh, it's still our team. We've made all-stars and all-NBAs and won championships. You can learn from us. And uh, it was just, it was a tension that was almost unavoidable, I think, just with the concoction they had of players in the room and just sort of the weird situation the roster was in. I guess it's like, I've never been super of the mind that every team has to have every player be the same age. The whole timeline thing to me is like, okay, that's nice and clean and 2k ish if you want, but real teams have good young and old players and players in between. And that's, you know, all the best teams have a wide range of that. And so I was never worried about the timeline stuff, but when you have personalities that clashed the way it seemed they did and a coach and Nick nurse, who didn't exactly do a good job of laying out the hierarchy of the team and declaring what roles were going to be, on top of the front office not assembling much of a roster beyond seven players, it just led to a whole lot of just sort of bad feelings all around. I think you play that season again. I think you sort of, if Nick Nurse had a bit of a different approach to it, maybe there's a more successful version of last year's Raptors team that you tap into, but maybe not because the roster wasn't totally suited and Scotty Barnes wasn't ready for the team to be his. Either way, the tensions were there all all season long. And I think I never once begrudged Fred Van Vliet for, you know, being like, yeah, well, yeah, okay, 21-year-old, take the team. It's yours now. It was a totally understandable thing, but that is, I think, really the undercurrent of what caused last season to kind of fall apart for the Raptors. You know, that's not exactly uh, super encouraging words to hear because he's coming to a team where he's got a bunch of 20-year-olds that he, you know, at least as far as Rockets fans expect the see how they expect this, this season to go is 
he's going to take a bit of a backseat to them is, is at least how Rockets fans kind of want this to look, right? With Jalen Green being the number one option, mm. Alperin, Shingun, Jabari Smith Jr. So with that tension between Fred and Scotty and maybe that expectation on Scotty's behalf of like, okay, I'm taking over the team. It's my team now, whatever. I mean, did you at least see, like, was Fred at least still a leader and still a mentor to some of the other young guys, to Scotty and other young guys on the team? Or is this maybe a potential problem that we're going to be facing here in Houston if Fred doesn't necessarily want to take a backseat to Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun and Jabari Smith Jr. and just be that that veteran mentor to help usher in the new age here in Houston? No, like, I still think Fred's a pro, right? Like, he, he still had plenty of good things to say about Scotty Barnes and talked a lot about, like, glowingly about his potential and what he can be. I just think he wasn't there ready to just crown him right away. And I think that's honestly, if you're the young Rockets players, you should probably have the mindset of, hmm, this guy has made however many $200 million of NBA money in his career at this point. Uh, he's been a two, he's been an all-star. He, he's, you know, been a champion. He, he's got all this stuff under his belt. Maybe we should listen to him and like kind of take his guidance. I, I think, if anything, the Rockets badly need that after what the last couple of years have been, how directionless it's felt. Um, I, I think if you're the young guys on the Rockets, you should be embracing the idea of a guy with the experience and the skill set of Fred Van Vliet walking in and kind of being the guy who runs the show. And frankly, I, I think he's going to stand a pretty good chance of being just like a really good table setter for that Rockets team. Yes, Jalen Green might be the number one option, but I would much rather have Fred Van Vliet starting possessions and initiating than Jalen Green at this point. And I think the Rockets will be at their best if Fred Van Vliet is doing that. And he's there to kind of butter the bread, as it were, of the younger guys and get them into spots to succeed. I'm actually like, I'm a huge Shangun guy. Like, I love him very, very much. And I think him and Fred Van Vliet are going to be an awesome duo. I think he probably stands of any Rockets player to benefit the most from the arrival of Fred Van Vliet, who's gotten much better as a pick and roll operator in the last couple of seasons. He's still not perfect. You know, he's not a great lob passer, stuff like that. But I don't think that's necessarily going to be a thing him and Shangun are hooking up for. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of positives of just having an adult in the room for that Rockets team. And Fred Van Vliet, over the course of his career has very much been that he's been a mentor to guys. He has been the leader of the locker room, you know, even without being maybe the best player, you know, Pascal Siakam has been the best player on the Raptors the last couple of years. I'd still think you'd say Fred Van Vliet was the biggest, loudest voice in the room. And he's very good at that stuff. I, I think there was just a lot of stuff last year with the Nick nurse on down injuries, you know, just like a strange team hierarchy, a starting lineup with five dudes who wanted the ball. Like it was just like a weird concoction of bad vibes with the Raptors last year that I think the Rockets should be able to avoid. But yeah, if they walk, if he walks in and all the young guys are like, screw you, Fred, the ball's ours. Yeah, there could be some problems, but I think if they're smart and Ime Odoka has like a, a pretty good plan in place, they're going to take their cues from Fred and Fred's going to be there to help them take the next steps in their careers. Coming up, what kind of an offensive and defensive impact can we expect from Fred Van Vliet with the Rockets, as well as other elements of his game, like his leadership that he brings to the table, his fit with the team? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now, new customers can bet $5, just $5, and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet just $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props, over-unders, and so much more. Right now, you can take a look at the outright 
Super Bowl 58 favorites, the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 600, the Eagles at plus 800, the Bills at plus 900, and rounding up the top five, if the Bengals and 49ers at plus 1,000 points apiece, the Texans, unfortunately, all the way down at plus 18,000, but... Go ahead and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss out on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And continuing on here at Locked On Rockets, a crossover episode with our good friend Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors for all things Fred Van Vliet. Now, Sean, when we look at the... Well, let's start with the offensive side of the ball. You talked there momentarily in segment one about just Fred being this table setter, right? And... I think there's this maybe, uh, I don't want to say a misconception about him, but this idea that he's not necessarily your traditional table-setting point guard, especially when you look at how his role has evolved over the years with the Raptors from where he came from, what his role was kind of on the championship era teams, and then to where it is now. What would you say to those who are concerned that he's not exactly the best fit to be the guy who is the table-setter for this team? I mean, I think the last couple of years have shown he can absolutely do it, right? Like he'll routinely walk into eight, nine, ten assist games. He's gotten much better as a pick and roll passer. And he's really one of the best guys at driving and kicking for three-point opportunities elsewhere. He's not really going to score at the rim. Don't expect him to have a good percentage around the rim. He's like 5'11 and has a lot of trouble scoring around the basket. He's got a lot of English he'll throw up there. And our, our, my friend Joe Wolfond over at the score has coined Fred Van Vliet as either the best bad finisher or the worst good finisher in the NBA, <laughs> however you want, based on the given day. But that's what you can expect around the basket. But when it comes to setting other guys up, I, I think the reputation has kind of I'm surprised he's not viewed as a better sort of table setting point guard. I think there was a lot of like he doesn't pass enough to Scotty Barnes stuff with the Raptors this past year and, and Raptors fans got mad about that. I just I don't really care about that. Mm -hmm. I think he did a good job setting the table. You saw when Jakob Pertl arrived in particular, the pick and roll combination of Jakob Pertl and Fred Van Vliet was one of the best duos in the entire NBA at producing productive possessions. Say that five times fast. Um, you know, it, it, he's he's got it right. Is he Kyle Lowry? No. Is he like Chris Paul? No, he's not a perfect player like that. But guess what? He also brings a lot as an off-ball player as well. And what he really made his name for with the Raptors was being one of the, if not the single best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA. He can run around off screens. He can hang out off the ball in the corner, on the wing, whatever it might be, and take advantage of other guys who you know draw attention from the defense. And, and he can really burn you there as well. Ask the Milwaukee Bucks in 2019 exactly about Fred Van Vliet as an off-ball scorer too. He can kind of do it all. And, and so if there are going to be pockets of games where Jalen Green taking over or Kevin Porter Jr. is taking over. Fred Van Vliet can absolutely play off the ball. I would have liked to have seen him occupy that role a little bit more last season, honestly, especially before they had Jakob Pertl on the team. Um, I think his three-point shooting and spacing was really valuable, but he also brings a lot to the table just with his pull-up three-point shooting. No, he was not an amazing three-point shooter last year, just 34-ish percent, well below his career standards. But the volume he brings and the pull-up three-point shooting he brings, where he was about 34% on pull-ups on like four and a half attempts a game last year, that matters, that bends defenses, and that, in the modern NBA, is like the single most important table-setting element you can have outside of like good pick-and-roll passing is... Can you bend the defense with your pull-up threat? And Fred Van Vliet can absolutely do that. He can be someone who runs effective offense with good offense around him. 
you know, the Raptors struggled because they didn't really have any bigs and they didn't really have any shooting and they didn't really have any anything outside of, uh, you know, like isolating and trying to like just bludgeon dudes via matchups. The Raptors half court offensive ecosystem was, I think, a lot worse than what this Rockets one looks like with Jabari Smith Jr. bombing threes and Shengun and Green and all of this. So I feel pretty good that he's going to be someone in that construct of that team who's going to be able to set the table just fine. And if he's not having a good time with it, or there's other guys who you want to get more touches to, he can 100% play off the ball and be very effective there as well. I think the element of Fred VanVleet playing off the ball is is really exciting because obviously the Rockets are bringing him in. They want a table setter. They want a veteran to really kind of orchestrate things for these young guys. But when you look, as you already alluded to, right, you've got Jalen Green, you've got Kevin Porter Jr., you've got Amin Thompson that you just drafted. You've got Alperin Shangun who you can run offense through. All these different threats you know, all these different guys who could have the ball in their hands and who can create themselves a little bit, having a point guard who can take, you know, three or four possessions in a row, setting the table for other guys, but then have three or four possessions in a row where he plays off ball, he spaces the floor, he's well beyond the three-point arc and really stretching that defense out. That is going to be invaluable, especially if he feels that that's an important element of his game. Is that something that you know? Like, has he talked about that before? Is he comfortable playing off ball? I know he's done it a lot. But you also talk about this past season, how he did it significantly less. And you would think that in a world where he's playing alongside a Scotty Barnes type, that he would be maybe, you know, amenable to playing off ball because that's how you get the best out of that duo specifically. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough thing to figure out, right? Because, like, I've always thought Fred's best role is playing off the ball. And, you know, that very much played itself out when Kyle Lowry was still on the team, right? And he was the the go-to point guard. There was no question. He did almost by necessity have to become the lead point guard, the guy who had the most touches, all this stuff, Uh, you know, and I think, you know, it's hard to say, right? Like, I I don't think he took kindly to the idea of playing off ball last year, just because I don't think I think that was fair. They didn't have someone else who was as good as him as a point of attack creator. He was just fine playing off ball when Kyle Lowry was doing his thing back in 2019-20 when he was playing like out of his mind for an entire year. Fred was great off the ball. And so I think it depends on the context of the team. I think it depends on the way the coaching staff sets expectations like I just don't think that happened with the Raptors last year. Like, I don't think Nick Nurse gave enough direction of, hey, this is your job. This is your job. Go do it well. Um, I think it was very kind of willy nilly. Go figure it out by yourselves. And Fred Van Vliet looked around and said, well, there's no other point guards on this roster. I guess I'm just going to play point guard and have the ball a bunch. That can lead to some, you know, iffy possessions, right? And, And it's hard to separate bad decision-making from Fred's and and just like awful offensive context on the Raptors end because the Raptors did not have a whole lot going on offensively for long stretches last year. They didn't have a pick-and-roll big man for the first three two-thirds of the season. They didn't have uh, enough shooting, and so it led to a lot of Fred Van Vliet possessions where he would kind of dribble for 18 seconds and not create a whole lot. But will that be different on a team with more space and dynamism off the ball and, and you know, a center in Shengun who can kind of do a bunch of different things? I think it probably will. So, yes, he does have those sort of pound the ball into the ground tendencies at times. But I also think a lot of that is tied to the context of the team he was playing on in the Raptors. And so we'll see. Um, you know, it, I, I think it, it is just the, the situation with Toronto last year was so bizarre, so clunky, so weird. It's tough to get a full read on, like, what is Fred right now? What does he want to be? Uh, And so it'll be very telling, I think. But I think if there's like a direction and a plan going in and there is, you know, like top down sort of agreement as to how he's going to be used, he's going to be just fine. It it was, I think, a lot of, you know, the sort of the, the backroom dealings with the Raptors last year were just it was just not a healthy environment for conducive 
cooperative, cohesive basketball. And so um, that's uh, that that's kind of I, my best read on the situation. It's hard to say because there are those tendencies to over dribble, to not want to play off the ball. Um, but again, I think team context has a lot to do with that. Let's shift gears here and go to the defensive side of the basketball for a moment. I think one thing that Rockets fans are incredibly excited about is just the overall upgrade in defensive intensity that we're going to see this next season with adding Fred Van Vliet, adding Dylan Brooks, two of the most premier point of attack defenders in the league. What does Fred bring on the defensive side of the basketball? So this is, if you were of the mind that the Raptors should have just let Fred Van Vliet walk last year, and, you know, obviously some people were happy that that happened because some people are dumb. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I think him leaving for nothing is uh, like objectively a bad thing for the Raptors. It's not good. Um, but if you were on the side of, you know, maybe it's time to just not have Fred on the team anymore, trade him at the deadline or whatever. I think a lot of it was tied to the defensive decline because at the point of attack last year, he was not good. He was a very bad point of attack defender, got blown by a ton, looked a little bit slow. He started the season off, you know, with some injuries and some illness that probably played into that a little bit. He's dealt with back and leg injuries and stuff and sort of the the toll of being a 5'11 point guard who has a lot of usage in the NBA. It adds up over time, not to mention he was playing like the most minutes in the league for, for, for Nick Nurse on account of no other point guards on the team. Um, so it is hard to say whether the decline is truly coming, but I do think if there is decline right now, I'm much more confident in his offense still kind of maintaining a level of, of competence than I am in his defense, just as a point of attack guy. As a team defender, he's bloody incredible. He is probably the best guard at digging down from the wing, from the from the perimeter to go for steals, to pull balls away, to, you know, he would like rack up blocks like crazy during his last couple of years in Toronto. All, but they weren't blocks. They were him just kind of digging in and like stealing it on the way up for a guy trying like, to like recorded as a block, but it's basically yeah. a deflection. Like, exactly. Okay. Like he would have led the NBA in steals had like, and I think he was close a couple of years anyway, but he would have led the league in steals by a mile. If those blocks were actually called the steals that they kind of were um, either way unimportant, but it's not unimportant because that speaks to the incredible off ball instincts that he has as a defender. Um, you know, again, point of attack, it got a little better when Jakob Pertle was there to kind of clean up messes at the end end of last season but if you don't have a proper rim protector behind him I think that's where his biggest decline has shown is that lateral quickness that ability to stick with faster guards at the point of attack they would get roasted by really quick guards pretty routinely to the point that they would have to stick like OG Ananobi or Precious Achua on a guy like Trey Young or someone like that because Fred just couldn't really hang as a one-on-one on an island defender. Um, but again, the off-ball stuff is great. It, it, it's bloody impressive. He's got iron fists, like the, the heaviest hands that you'll ever see. And that is a, a really fun thing it, it, that ignites transition that gets the, the, them kind of running and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, point of attack, I would temper your expectations, maybe with a lessened minutes load and um, less total overall burden as an offensive player as well. Maybe he's able to get that uh, a step back there. But if the decline has come, it's a thousand percent been as a point of attack defender. And that I think was one of the biggest reasons why Raptors fans were maybe OK in some corners with him moving on. We recently had uh, Mike Guevara, uh, who is uh, Fred's uh, fitness trainer, his, his you know, uh, NBA. Why am I blanking on the official terminology for this? I'm like, it's not his skills coach, but, you know, the guy that makes sure his body is right. And he was yeah. on the show recently and he was talking Muscle about how. Watcher. There yeah. we go. Yeah, that. Um, I'm so sorry, Mike. My bad, man. But um, <laughs> no, he, we recently had him on the show and he was talking about all the work that Fred was putting in this offseason to make sure that his knee was right, that his body was mm. good going into this next year. So 
Hopefully, you know, from a health perspective, there's nothing there limiting him uh, as he's coming into this season for the Rockets. Because again, they do need a significant improvement on the defensive side, but just the the team defense element is going to be is going to be massive as well. Even if there is a bit of a decline as far as just the individual one on one point of attack defense, because the Rockets just as a team were abysmal defensively last year. So having better, more high IQ guys, guys who understand rotations and how to help and how to teach others how to be good defensively is going to just be it's going to pay significant dividends this upcoming season but coming up I want to get into Fred's best and worst games from this past year so that Rockets fans can get a better idea of what to expect from him as well as how does he succeed in this role with Houston we're going to get there in just one moment and final segment here at Locked On Rockets, chatting with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors. Now, Sean, if Rockets fans wanted to go and get a better idea of the Fred Van Vliet that is going to be donning a Rockets jersey here in the not-so-distant future, uh, about a month and a half to training camp, I guess, uh, what games would you suggest to go for them to go check out for maybe a couple of his best games from this past season and a couple of his worst games from this past season to get kind of get an idea of who they're getting? So I think, you know, go and look at the box scores and just look at his three point totals. And if he'll have games where he goes two of 13 and it's not pretty, uh, he, he's someone who's going to really jack him up. And that's a good thing. Like you want three point volume and the Raptors like desperately needed his three point volume. I don't know if he'll average nine attempted threes a game on the Rockets this season, like he did for the Raptors, just because it was a necessity for him to do that. Um, but like, yeah, there are games, I think in particular, the play in game against the Bulls, like just couldn't find it, could not. I don't have the box scores in front of me at the moment, but um, just could not find it. And he, he can have lopsided shooting nights that for a team that was so dependent on his three point shooting, it was devastating. I don't think it'll be as big a problem for the Rockets just because they seem to have a little bit more three-point shooting talent on the team than the Raptors did. Um, but it, it is certainly a thing. Like, he can definitely shoot you out of a game on his bad nights, right, where he'll just kind of, you know, oh, 12, 2 of 13, 1 of 13, 1 of 11, whatever. Like, those nights will happen. You know, the, the nice and sort of saving grace there is there were plenty of games this season where he would have those really bad shooting nights and then, like, you'd get down to crunch time and he, he would hit like his second three of the game to go two of 15, but it was like the biggest shot of the game, right? Like he's kind of got that sort of, you know, it's onions time the thing where he kind of step up with it. But yeah, that that's sort of where you're looking for the, like the, where the games are not good. It's when the three point shooting is off because that is, he's very dependent on it, right? He's not someone who's going to go and score a ton at the rim. He can't just like decide, okay, it's not working for me. Three point wise. Let me just go score a bunch and, and get a bunch of buckets in close. It's just not going to work that way. He does have a bit more of a mid range game, excuse me, which, which he can kind of lean on um, and has become a bit more of a, of an element sort of a counter for him in the last couple of years, something he can go to when those threes aren't following. But He's 5'11", and he is a good three-point shooter with high volume. He's going to be susceptible to variance there for sure. Um, the best games, just go look at any game where he played the Utah Jazz. Uh, like For some reason, Shout Is he a David Jazz Locke. killer? Because that's a total bonus if he's a Jazz total killer. Total Jazz killer. Total Jazz killer, yes. I think he's, his his only career triple-double was against the Jazz this season. Um, it was like 30-10-10 and 10 or something like that. It, it was a really impressive performance. Um, but yeah, like the games where he's at his best, it, it's, you know... When he's setting other guys up, for sure, it's when there's a little bit more catch and shoot to his 
game. Um, and, and it's when the threes are falling, right? Like it, it's very reductive, but it's very 2023 in the NBA to say when the threes are falling, it's good. When the threes aren't falling, it's not so good. Um, but yeah, that, like also you can just go watch the game where he scored 54 against the Magic back in 2021. That was a delight. It was like the only good thing that happened for the Raptors during the Tampa Bay season. Um, and if you want to see like Fred totally go off the sort of peak of Fred on a heater, that's the game to go and watch for sure. Man, I, I, you know, it's he also had a game, I believe, last year that I pulled the highlights from right after the Rockets signed him uh, where he just torched Houston and he had he ripped mm. like KPJ like four times in one game. And I was like, look, yeah. this man is going to be competing against KPJ and Jalen in practice, and they are going <laughs> to be getting absolutely muscled by this guy every single they're day. They're going to hate gonna it. Yeah, they're so going to be better. miserable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, and that's the kind of thing that you need, right? You need iron sharpens iron, right? When it comes to these young mm-hmm. guys and having a vet like Fred who can come in and really bully these two young guys around and be like, no, you guys, you guys think you're, 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 you're hot stuff. You're really not like, I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you on an island and you're mine. And mm-hmm. it's going to be so much fun to see how those guys develop and, and a Thompson and so many other players on this roster with just having him around, right? Having more competitive practices thing, you know, games that ultimately matter deeper into the season is another, um, benefit to where this Rockets team is hopefully headed this next season. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, Sean, but just as a leader, you know, how is Fred viewed by the other players on his team? I know we've touched on, you know, kind of the Scotty tension a little bit, but, you know, how is he viewed as a leader by, you know, Nick Nurse, by the other players, by Pascal, um, just and how did his voice carry in that locker room? Yeah, again, I think it's a little cloudy because this last year, I think maybe his messaging or whatever maybe ran a little thin. Or, or I, again, it's there's so many weird factors at play that it's hard to really pinpoint who was at blame, who's to blame, all this stuff. But prior to that, like fully, like just like totally embraced as the leader of the team. Like when Kyle Lowry left there was this sort of concern of oh god kyle lowry's been the face of the team for all this time and i remember they interviewed fred in the final game of the season where it was like kyle's last year it was the final game of the tampa season i believe uh and he just like the way he spoke and the way others speak about him it really was like oh yeah no the raptors are in good hands this is going to be fine like this is like he's someone who can kind of command respect within a room and i think that makes sense right like this is a guy who was an undrafted player who bet on himself multiple times has now earned over 200 million bucks in contracts in his career that's incredible and a testament to the kind of duty is the work he puts in all that stuff and so i think just like his story on its own commands respect again the factors last year with the raptors it's hard to really parse you know where things went wrong and for, you know who was at fault the most but uh overall i think for the most part he has been universally seen as like a tremendous leader and, and again as like a media person it's really refreshing to hear someone like and maybe the young guys don't like this maybe it's like a, a, a generational gap thing where it's like oh you're gonna tell the truth about how he sucked what the hell fred van vliet's not gonna be afraid to tell the truth when they suck and, and i think that is a valuable thing to have and I think, you know, the media, again, is going to have an absolute ball just talking with him because he is very forthright. He is very honest. Maybe that doesn't sit with the 21 year olds of today, but um, it should probably, uh, you know, like he knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He's been through a lot and he's won a championship and he's got all this stuff under his belt when he never should have as a guy who was undrafted out of college. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think under the right circumstances that essentially not last year's Raptors circumstances, Fred Van Vliet is viewed as a pretty universally fantastic leader. And I would have no doubt that things are going to go pretty well in Houston. Well, there's a, there's a pretty, you know, uh, 
the bar is set pretty high, I should say, for uh, having to drop, I guess, a candid comment because we have Eric Gordon uh, from New Year's <laughs> Eve last season saying that there's been no improvement on the roster. So if Fred can somehow top that comment, I will be thoroughly impressed. Hopefully, though, there's not you know, a train wreck situation going on next season where he has to drop a comment like that. Um, Sean, last thing that I've got for you here, when we look at Fred and kind of him integrating himself into this young Rockets roster, you've already, you came in and you were incredibly optimistic about his future with this Rockets team and what he's going to be able to accomplish with some of these young guys. How do you envision a successful season for Fred looking? Like when you look at the different parts that the Rockets have, how does he come in here and have success? Yeah, I think you probably want to see his volume be a little bit lower than it was with the Raptors last year. Again, very much by necessity because they didn't have a whole lot in terms of guys who could dribble, pass, and shoot. They have less of them now because he's gone and they didn't really replace him with one. So, uh, except for old Rockets pal Dennis Schroeder, baby. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think with with Fred, yeah, maybe you drop the volume back a little bit. I think in particular, if they can scale his minutes back to like, 33 a game as opposed to 37 38 which he's been at the last couple of years and that's going to be huge for him just to kind of give him some extra pop and juice um and frankly he's always at his best when he's able to kind of get downhill again he's not scoring at the rim all that well but he's getting into the teeth of the defense he's steve gnashing the pick and roll all that stuff um and i think that's just a lot easier when he's got more juice in the tank and or gas in the tank juice in the box i don't know what the analogy i'm looking for here is but you get my uh, where, where i'm going with it um yeah i, I think if he can, I, like, I don't see why he can't come in and not average like seven or eight assists a game and, and kind of be someone who's just hooking up dudes, Shangun, Green, Smith on down the line. Like, I, I think he can really be someone who puts those guys in a position to succeed. And if that happens, I think his numbers will be there. I think just the, the threat of his shooting is going to be a, a, a useful thing to help open up the offense as well. Uh, and I think, yeah, like that's, that's the recipe here defensively. I don't know if he if there's enough like insulation there defensively. I know that Dylan Brooks is a great wing defender. I'm not sure anyone else on that team is a great defender. Um, and so there might not be enough there to make it so Fred Van Vliet's going to be, you know, a no-brainer uh, ace defensive player or anything like that. Like, I don't think he's competing for all defense anymore. But still, the, the off-ball stuff, the team defense, sort of conducting things, even if he physically can't stay in front of guys as well as he used to, I think that's all going to be very valuable too. And I think will kind of contribute to a successful Fred Van Vliet. Fred, Fred, like, again, he's just an adult, right? Like, he's an adult in the room, and I think if he is given the platform to be said adult, it's going to be a pretty successful year for him. I know I said last thing when I asked you that question, but it, this, <laughs> this just popped in my mind. What what it has been to, to this date your favorite Fred Van Vliet-Drake interaction, seeing as how they're Fred twins. Van Vliet-Drake interaction. Honestly... Drake hasn't been around the last few years, so it's hard to really uh, think of one. I guess like Fred Drake, like uh, just like tweeting about his brother. I don't. There's not, that's a, there's not many good ones. Like Drake, okay, has all right, fair. Not many great interactions with the players themselves. He's usually at Kentucky games. Um, but like. As far I just, as like I just remember Drake calling yeah. Houston the Guangdong Rockets, like when he when Fred signed here, and I was like, "Damn, like that's that's brutal, man." Like, yeah, they definitely like have a back and forth. Do I think that Fred likes Drake as much as Drake likes Fred, or thinks Fred likes him? Probably not. Uh, but you know, that's just I have that's no reporting. That's just <laughs> inferring from uh, the way they talk about one another. Um, but yeah, as far as like favorite Fred moments and stuff like that, I mean, there's plenty of them. Like the, he had the 54 point game against Orlando. He had. Um, 
just like a tremendous turnaround in the playoffs back in 2019, where he was awful for the first two and a half rounds. Then he had a kid came back and uh, hit 17 of 19 threes to close the conference finals and was amazing enough to get a finals MVP vote in 2019. Shout out Hubie Brown. Uh, you know, all that. He's he's a, he's a really fun player. And I think uh, Rockets fans are going to have a pretty good time with him. And you won't have to deal with Drake, which is always fun. <laughs> there we go. Always a win there. Sean, thank you so much for stopping by. Let everybody know where they can track you down at, man. Yeah, uh, Locked on Raptors every day. Find it on your podcast apps and YouTube. I'm on Twitter very sparingly because who wants to be on Twitter? Uh, at Woodley Sean. You can find the show on Instagram and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, thanks for having me on, man. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.